Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PyTorch Dev Podcast. Today, I want to talk about native functions.yaml, but I don't actually want to talk about native functions.yaml. What I really want to talk about is enough about our just-in-time compiler for people who are not compiler engineers and working on the eager portion of PyTorch. Um, you'll see what this has to do with native functions.yaml in a moment. Okay, so what is native functions.yaml? Well, native functions.yaml is this YAML file named native functions, which basically describes every operator supported by PyTorch. So imagine that you're thinking about a sum or add or sub. Each of these operators that PyTorch supports has an entry in this YAML file. And so this YAML file basically is a sort of canonical source of information about these operators, um, except for a few exceptions, which we'll get to later. Okay, so why is there this YAML file, right? Like if you were just writing a Python library, um, you'd expect, well, you know, if there's a bunch of functions that my library supports, I'll just write Python definitions for them. Or even, you know, if you're writing a library and you're doing C++ bindings, you'd expect, oh, well, you know, I'll have a bunch of C functions that implement the functions that I need, and uh, I'll just register using them using PyBind11. So like, why do I need this separate representation? And and as is always the case, when there is an abstract representation about what operators you have, there's probably code generation lurking underneath. And in particular, native functions.yaml gets fed into a variety of different code generation pipelines, which basically stamp out all of the boilerplate necessary to support all the things that you want to, you know, you want an operator to do. And this is where like being JIT for non-compiler engineers is important because Yes, native functions.yaml plays a very important role in generating our eager PyTorch bindings. That is to say, you know, the actual functions you call when you're just running PyTorch from Python. But what it also does is it also generates bindings to TorchScript, our compiler and interpreter stack in PyTorch. And so whenever you're like working on a new operator, when you're trying to define a new operator, um, whatever it is you do also needs to work okay with the compiler stack. And here, it's helpful to know a little bit about what the compiler is trying to do with this information to you know, figure out why you know, there are certain constraints about what kinds of things you can do in native functions.yaml. So let's take one example to start. So in native function.yaml, one of the things you do is you write down a so-called schema string for any operator you want to define. So what does the schema string look like? Well, let's take our example of addition. Um, so what is an addition? Well, it takes two tensors and it produces an output tensor. And so the schema string for add basically is like, you know, tensor add, uh, open paren, uh, tensor self, comma, tensor other, close paren, right? It, it, what it says is, hey, you know, here are the types of the arguments, here are the types of the outputs. Um, pretty, pretty standard stuff. But if we look a little deeper into this type system, you know, the fact that we have this schema string, we, the fact that we have this JIT schema format actually says something about what we are planning to target. Because in particular, the schema is not Python types. It's not C++ types, it's JIT schema types. And what JIT schema types represent is sort of the intersection of all language features that are supported by Python, as well as language features that are supported by C++, and most importantly, language features that are supported by the TorchScript compiler. So let's just take an example, right? So let's say that I wanted to write a, um, a function in PyTorch that takes a void star pointer as its input. Well, you can't do that. And the reason you can't do that is while void star works as a you know, type 
in C++, there's no such type as void star in Python. Well, unless you count, you know, one of the C type types, but we don't, like most of the Python types that the PyTorch binding support are like stock types, like normal types, like integers, floats, booleans, tensors, for example. So you can't write a function like that, right? And if you wanted to write a function that took void star, you would first have to fix both the um, eager code generation code to understand a void star pointer, as well as the C++ code, that would be easy because void star is very simple, as well as the torch script code to know how to represent a void star pointer in what we call our box format, our I value format, which is basically a universal container for any type of you know, object that you might actually pass into the, one of these functions in question. So yeah, there is a limited set of types available to native functions.yaml, and this limitation makes it easy to actually, you know, write code that works for all of the platforms that we care about. Of course, this can be kind of annoying sometimes. For example, we don't have support for enums in nativefunctions.yaml because how enums are defined in C++ and in Python um, are fairly different and it's it's pretty involved. There's no reason in principle we couldn't solve this, but you know, you have to actually pre-declare um, an enum in C++, and you have to pre-declare an enum in Python, except in Python, that's not the Pythonic way to do enums. You just, you know, pr provide a string saying what option you want. So actually, most um, enums are implemented sort of crappily using strings, and I say it's crappily because, like, you don't actually want to be passing around strings and doing string comparisons. In Python, it's okay because string interning happens, and so if you're lucky, it's just a pointer equality, but in C++, that doesn't happen, and so you actually do want an enum type, but we haven't implemented it yet, right? Because it's a little complicated to like work out a representation for enums that works in all the situations. By the way, if you're interested in doing this, well, talk to us, because it is something that we've been wanting to fix for a really long time. Okay, so that's it about types and native functions.yaml. What's another example of something that um, you know you need to worry about in native functions.yaml, not because it matters in eager mode, but because it matters in the compiler? Well, a great example of this is mutation and alias info in native functions.yaml. Okay, what's that? Well, if you ever look through uh, the YAML file, you might notice that there are some operations that have some little weird like extra like fluff in their type signatures, right? So they don't just take a tensor as an argument, they take a tensor, open parentheses, a exclamation mark, close parentheses. What the heck does that mean? Well, what that means is that this argument isn't just being read in as a pure argument, that is to say we're just taking it as an input. We're also going to write to the argument in this situation. So okay, you might say that's really useful for documentation purposes in eager mode, but like, why does it matter if I specify this correctly or not? Well, it matters because, once again, we've got a compiler, and our compiler wants to do certain optimizations, and some optimizations might not be valid if you don't know if a operator is mutating its arguments or not. For example, dead code elimination says that if I call a function on some operands, and then I don't use the result, I can just get rid of that operation entirely, right? Because it's dead code. Well, I can't get rid of this function call if the function is actually in the business of mutating the tensor because, you know, like we might just be calling this function for the purpose of doing the side effect in question. So it's actually really important to put down correct mutation information on your functions because um, if you don't, and then your function goes into the torch compiler, which it will because the whole point 
of putting something in native functions.yaml is so that you get all of the support, right? Eager C++ script. If you don't do it right, then your compiler may just miscompile your code. It may you know, throw away your op calls. It may reorder them with other mutating op calls. Bad business all around. Of course, what you really should do is just write your operator without having any mutation at all. But you know, sometimes that's not possible. This is a really common mistake people make when they're defining custom operators because you you just like you just write a type signature down and you think oh this looks fine and the you know pytorch accepted it what's wrong with it well what's wrong with it is you know this downstream thing about the compiler so if you're thinking about like what kinds of info the compiler needs that'll help you understand like what kinds of stuff native functions.yaml actually needs there's one more thing that like really 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 affects people when they're making changes to native functions.yaml. And this is backwards and forwards compatibility with serialization formats in JIT. In the previous podcast, I talked about serialization sort of in a general sense, and I talked about this forward compatibility and backwards compatibility um, concept. Well, this concept also applies to operator definitions. So stepping back a moment, when we think about forwards and backwards compatibility in PyTorch, um, we usually only really care about backwards compatibility because you just write some Python program and you just want this Python program to keep working when you upgrade to the next version of PyTorch. And there are a lot of changes that we can make to functions which are actually backwards compatible. For example, if we add a new keyword argument to an operator, but we give it a default, from the perspective of Python, that's totally backwards compatible because, well, if I had a call to the Py, uh, if I had a call to the function before that didn't pass the argument, well, it'll just get defaulted. And you know, if I'm doing my job correctly, the default behavior will be compatible with whatever the old behavior was in that situation. Well, 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 but remember native functions.yaml is being used in different situations. And in particular, there are two particular situations where this is not exactly backwards compatible. And by the way, these might be just mistakes and we should fix these mistakes, but sort of it's just how PyTorch works today. So situation one is um, for the longest time, when we serialize uh, Py, uh, so, so stepping back a moment, so one of the things that TorScript does is you have a model that has a bunch of function calls, and we can serialize these function calls back into Python code. And so something very interesting happens as a result of um, something that a compiler wants to do, which is whenever you serialize some uh, functions, we actually write out all the defaults to the um, serialized model. So let's just imagine like uh, I'm doing a matrix multiply, and I added an optional flag that says whether or not I should transpose the second argument or not. This doesn't actually exist in PyTorch, but there are plenty of examples that are actually existing. I just can't think of them right now. So in this situation, um, if I write a, say, matmol ab, what will actually get serialized is matmol ab true, where true says, uh, sorry, false, where false says don't transpose the second argument. That's kind of weird. Why does the JIT do that? Well, one of the reasons the JIT does this is, um, you know, one of the things that it does when um, compiling your program is it tries to translate it into an intermediate representation that's easier for the compiler to deal with. And one of the things that makes uh, IRs easy to deal with is when they are very regular. So what do I mean by regularity? Well, it means that I don't have to like, you know, go ahead and canonicalize stuff every time I look at it, I can just assume that things are in canonical form. And an example of something in 
uh, canonical form is a function call which has all the defaults actually explicitly written out as opposed to like implicit because if they're implicit you have to go figure out you know what the behavior what the defaults are and fill them in if you wanted to like actually write code that operated on the semantics of this function okay so because this ir representation transformation happens well as an accident when we reserialize things out we actually just lost the information about whether or not um you know something was explicitly defaulted or not explicitly defaulted and so we just always serialized it out why is this problematic? Well, it's problematic for forwards compatibility. Uh, recall from the previous podcast, forwards compatibility refers to if I serialize a model from a newer version of PyTorch, and let's say that it doesn't actually use any of the new features of PyTorch, which you know would necessitate using the new version of PyTorch, can I run it on an old version of PyTorch? And so if you add this defaulted new parameter, and well, it's getting serialized out, uh-oh, um, when you, you know, try to load this model in an old version, there will be this extra parameter that your old version of PyTorch doesn't understand, and well, sucks to be you, um, the model can't be loaded anymore. So there is a way to solve this problem uh, in PyTorch master, and I don't exactly remember how we resolved it. There, it's either some sort of like backwards compatibility, sorry, forwards compatibility. Uh, well, one is we don't really offer forwards compatibility, but I think there's some like surgery you can do to fix the problem, or it might just be that we fix this problem to begin with. But like the the meta point here is that this was a problem for a while. And the reason it was a problem is because, you know, JIT is using this representation in a way that is different than how you normally might conceptualize it in just eager mode. And so to just understand the consequences of various changes you might make, you have to also understand, you know, what's going on in JIT. Is this bad? Like, what if we, like, just wrote our format really, really nicely and explained all of the invariants in question and like you could just read up about them and know everything. Well, yes, ideally this would be the case. Ideally, we would have a really good backwards compatibility and forwards compatibility story, and we wouldn't have problems like this. Great. If you want to work on this, uh, you know, come talk to us. Like, you know, this is this is a really important project for PyTorch, and um, and we've just you know been very slow in actually getting because who wants to work on backwards compatibility, honestly. I do actually, it's, um, but I'm I'm always working on other stuff, unfortunately. So yeah, so so what did I talk about today, right? So I talked about native functions.yaml. I didn't really tell you, you know, how to write things in native functions.yaml, and I don't really want to in this podcast because there are pretty nice documentation that you can look at. What I wanted to go over today was more, you know, why does native function.yaml have all of this stuff? And the reason it has all this stuff is because, well, there's this compiler stack attached to it. And, you know, there are a bunch of constraints that, you know, we need to solve simultaneously in both cases. So if you ever find yourself wondering, you know, why is something this way? Well, maybe there's something in the compiler that needs it to be that way. And also, I also want to emphasize that compilers are not that magical like there's not that much they're doing so you can understand it even if you know you don't work on the compiler on day to day and uh, like once you understand it you might actually be able to look at the situation and say hey actually there is no reason for it to be this way and we can fix it and then you know you can just fix it and that's that's pretty powerful and so a generalizable lesson that applies to all the software engineering that's everything i wanted to say today talk to you next time <laughs>